0: This is Elevation Gains Podcast.
1: I'm Jim, an avid backpacker and hiker from Reno, Nevada.
0: I'm Holly, a coaching weightlifter. I own a strength gym in Oakland, California.
1: And on this podcast, we attempt to break down some of the barriers that keep people from enjoying the backcountry. Here we are at episode six. In this week's episode, we're going to talk a lot about tragedy and trauma on the trail and the ways that we deal with that.
0: Right. So we got into a bunch of personal stories, which felt like a really fun little jaunt through each other's histories. And I thought that some of the techniques that we riffed about dealing with anxiety, dealing with overcoming fear, dealing with... um you know, what happens when you get triggered and you're out there and you're doing it and how to get through that. And that felt powerful.
1: Yeah. And I think it's a, it's a really important conversation to have because I think new hikers and experienced hikers or adventurers, regardless, you know, whether you're mountain biking or free diving or backpacking can make life altering mistakes.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And when you make life-altering mistakes or things happen and you get hurt from it, how do you overcome it and keep doing what you love? And that's really what we focused on.
1: Absolutely. So let's uh let's dive right into episode 6. Wee! Alrighty, episode six. This is kind of crazy. I'm I'm excited and like I don't know, I guess I didn't know that we would get this far.
0: I know. When I was sending the link, I was like went back and checked and was like, whoa, we're on episode six. That's freaking cool.
1: Yeah, no, I'm excited. Um I I'm really happy with how episode five came out. I I am looking forward to having more guests. We do not have a guest tonight, but we have a cool Topic to talk about. I think, uh, you know, it's this will come out probably just after the new year. So everybody's just kind of done with like holiday madness and all that. And so it seems like an absolutely perfect time to talk about tragedies on the trail.
0: (laughs) Uh, I try to think about it more like trauma on the trail than tragedy, I suppose. Um, So we're going to talk about uh, fear, dealing with discomfort, and Uh, really, like, overcoming sort of trail PTSD or adventure PTSD. Like, what happens when you get real serious hurt and you're still trying to go out there and do shit?
1: Yeah, and um, I have a a fair amount of experience with that, unfortunately.
0: (laughs) (laughs) All right, so do you want to start us off with uh, a couple... uh, Your first story?
1: Yeah, so kind of what we thought we would do tonight is just share a cool stories about adventure gone wrong and then talk about how we dealt with You know, inevitably when something goes wrong there's feelings involved so we're going to talk about how we dealt with those feelings and and uh how we keep going out and doing the things we love to do after something goes terribly wrong
0: exactly which is a which is specifically a really big challenge when what you're doing might be pretty close to exactly the thing that hurt you. And so the thing that you used to love could become triggering, it could become scary, and uh, and there are ways to work around that and overcome.
1: Yeah, definitely. So my first story, and it sounds weird to say this, but my first story is kind of funny It, in hindsight. We'll, we'll say that, right. but the first story is funny in hindsight. So... <laughs> I had decided at one point that I was going to go solo winter camping. It would have been my first time going out in the snow by myself, and uh, I didn't really have the right equipment for this, so I just kind of pieced together the gear that I had. And it's totally doable. Like You can go winter camping with stuff you have right now. You don't have to go out and buy super expensive gear. And... I, I kind of set out to prove that, like, I wanted to be like, you know what, I don't have a four season tent. I don't have, you know, all, all these things. And uh, so I packed up what I did have. And I headed out to Spooner Lake, which is kind of in the Tahoe National Forest area. And the plan was to go from Spooner Lake to Marlette Campground on a section of the Tahoe Rim Trail. And as I was driving up to Spooner Lake, I was on the phone with my mom, and she super worried, super concerned about, about this trip. And she basically talked me into stopping at a local outfitter and buying just like a cheap pair of snowshoes. Cause I didn't even have snowshoes. And I know that sounds really, really ridiculous, but this is the thing I decided to do. <laughs> so I stopped, I bought the snowshoes just to make my mom happy and headed back out to the trailhead all the way from Spooner Lake to the summit of snow Valley peak there was like patches of snow, but there was nothing snowshoe worthy. And I was getting like increasingly irritated that I was carrying all this extra weight. I had these stupid snowshoes strapped to my back that I had no use for. Right around, I don't know, probably 11 in the morning, I got to the top of Snow Valley Peak and started my way back down and just like immediately post-hold in the snow up to my hips. Oh God. Yeah. So I backtracked a little bit, put the snowshoes on, and all of a sudden, I was very, very happy to be carrying that extra weight. (laughs) (laughs) I was pretty pumped that I had the snowshoes at that moment. That was a a win for mom. Um, So I started trekking my way down, and this is, gosh, I want to say 2016 or 2017. So it was kind of on the cusp of when like phone GPS apps were just being introduced and weren't really that great. Like like right now I would trust, there's like three or four apps on my phone that I would trust with my life. And that was not the case in late 16, early 17. Um, the apps existed, but they were, they were pretty terrible. So my plan was to stop every 45 minutes to an hour and check the paper map against the GPS app and see you know, where I was relative to where I was supposed to be. And it's like
0: a trail map quest.
1: Yeah, a lot like that, actually. <laughs> um, and for the whole afternoon, the like, GPS lined up to what I was expecting to see on the paper map, and I was following this other set of snowshoe tracks. And every time I stopped to check, the snowshoe tracks, the GPS app, and the paper map, the paper map all lined up. They all corresponded. So I got a little lazier, you know, so now it was like every hour and a half to two hours, I would stop and check. Um, but even still, even, even with that kind of delayed data collection, um, everything was cool. Like it, the, these snowshoe tracks were going exactly where I was supposed to go. So it got to be four o'clock, four fifteen. the sun's kind of starting to go down and i see this sign buried in the snow um kind of an important caveat the tahoe rim trail during the spring and summer months is this just immaculately maintained trail it's super super easy to follow the downside to that is it's not very well marked you know because because the trail is so easy to follow there's not a lot of signage there's not a lot of blazes because you you would have to try to get lost if you're, if you're on the Rim Trail. In the winter, any signage and any blazes there might be are buried under the snow because right. the, the signs are like three feet tall.
0: Right, of course.
1: In Northern California winter, we get more than three feet of snow, um, usually, yeah. So <laughs> I see just this tiny little bit of a sign poking out. So I dig down into the snow and I, and I read the sign and it says, Marlet campground one mile. It's like, cool, this is great. I'll be at camp. Like, before the sun goes down, I get my tent set up. get start getting my food ready and all this. This is cool. So I start heading off the direction that the snowshoe trail was still going. Um, it's like an hour goes by, and I'm not at the campsite. Uh-uh. And then, like, an hour and a half goes by, and the sun is all but gone, and I'm still not at the campsite. So I decide all right, I'm going to check the map and I'm going to check the GPS app and I'm going to see where I'm at. And I was nowhere near the campground. Like I was way, way off course, like way off course. Um, So while I'm sitting there checking everything, it starts to snow like pretty significantly. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to follow my tracks back to where I saw that sign. And when I get to the sign, I'm going to check the map and everything again. And I'm going to sort this out. This is, this is not that big of a deal. I'd walked about an hour and a half in the wrong direction. So that's an hour and a half back. The right. sun's gone. So now I'm trekking through like heavily falling snow with my headlamp. Alone. Alone. And my snowshoe tracks are gone. Like it was snowing enough that it filled in my tracks.
0: Oh my gosh. Snow is so scary like that.
1: Yeah, it definitely can be. Um, I did eventually find my way back to where that sign was. And I decided, you know what? I'm just going to set my tent up here. Like I know, I know where I am right now. And if I trek off to where I think I'm supposed to be, I could just make things infinitely worse. So I set up my tent, started boiling snow and, and, you know, getting all that stuff situated, got my sleeping situated, got my food cooking and just kind of, went to bed not really knowing where i was uh in the morning
0: i i need to pause you for i need to pause you for a second jim is just casually shrugging at the concept of being actively snowed on in the wilderness not having any idea where they're <laughs> anyway in case you were wondering how much of a badass jim is just casual shrug at i don't know where i am in the snow
1: <laughs> i mean i knew i knew roughly where i was like um, like I say on, on, the rim trail, it's hard, it's hard to get lost. Like, cause it's, it's just a big circle. If you can see Tahoe, you can kind of figure out, okay, so Tahoe's over here. The sun is over here and you can figure out which direction you need to go. It may not be the exact right path, but you're going to get where you need to go. So it wasn't that big of a deal. And I knew, I knew once the sun was up, I could sort it all out. So I had kind of a cold frigid night um with a lot of the wrong gear I didn't bring a warm enough sleeping bag I had like a three season tent um so it was it was a rough night of sleep but once the sun was up I was like oh okay I know exactly where I am and trekked back to the car and it was no problem
0: okay and yeah. where where do, where does the trauma come in how did that cause you anxiety going forward
1: the only thing i was really traumatized by I guess with that one was like there was a couple of points especially like pre-dawn where I I was fairly concerned that I might end up with like frostbite or hypothermia or something like that because I just didn't have the right equipment and that's why like you know before I told this story I said in hindsight it's 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 a little funny because it was just like you know here I am on this well-traveled loop. Hundreds of people hike every single year and I managed to get myself lost because I was following somebody else who was clearly lost.
0: (laughs) Uh, But now you do a reasonable amount of winter backpacking. So how did you get over that fear?
1: Um, So here's the funny thing is I I have never gone by myself again. That, that is the one and only time I've gone on a solo snow trip. Every other trip I've gone with uh, with a partner.
0: Okay. Uh, also, we need to circle back to I want to go snow camping with you.
1: Yeah, let's do it.
0: Um, and I weirdly have a bunch of winter gear I've never used. So let's use this shit. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that sounds good. Yeah. I think uh, the reason I wanted to share that particular story is that one of the biggest mistakes people make when they get lost is they keep going like some like somehow forward momentum is going to solve your problem and the the smartest thing you can do in in the back country the smartest thing you can do when you figure out that you have no clue where you are anymore stop set up shelter get yourself taken care of make sure you're not going to freeze to death and just ride it out you know I, all too often people get lost and they're just like okay it's, it's got to be over here it's got to be it's got to be just a you know another half mile or another quarter mile. And then they get to that other quarter mile. Well, maybe it's just one more quarter mile. And you're just making it worse and worse and worse and worse. And like once you figure out that you're lost, the smartest thing you can do is stop right where you are.
0: Yeah, I think that's really legit advice. Um, this isn't a story that happened to me, but I just happened to listen to an I Survived that's very pertinent. Do you mind if I share? Go for it. So uh, this guy decides to run this ultra marathon that's across the sahara desert he's running everything's going great for a while i guess as great as you can be if you're running an ultra marathon in the sahara desert but he seems like he's doing great sandstorm kicks up and he just keeps running he runs through the sandstorm which like damn, that's like discomfort inspiration for me. Um, But he just keeps running through the sandstorm. And uh, he had no idea where he was going because the sandstorm was clouding his vision. It was clouding everything, right? Sandstorm lasts for two days. He keeps running. Um, To make this really incredible story much, much shorter, he kept running. The sandstorm ended. And now it's been two plus days and he's just been running forward and he actually ended up after 10 days, they couldn't find him. He ran all the way to, uh, to Algeria from where he started in Morocco. Um, and the reason he wasn't found for those entire, that entire time is because he wouldn't stop moving forward. He just kept moving forward. And it's like, it's so appropriate. Cause like, if he had just literally sat down right where he was when the sandstorm hit and put a Mylar blanket over himself, he would have been found in like a couple of hours and it would have been fine. But instead, he just kept running. And instead, he had to run for like 14 days and ran to another country. Um, wow. So unless you want to run to another country, I suppose, sitting still and checking GPS is probably the best bet.
1: Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, so yeah, that one, I guess, didn't have... I. I That one, I guess was more, and it's something you say a lot where you you talk about finding comfort in the discomfort. Right. And I, I was definitely uncomfortable. I mean, I was cold. I didn't know where I was. It was dark, like trying to set up a tent in the dark in the summer is kind of a pain in the ass. Right. Trying to set up a tent in the dark in a blizzard. Like, forget it. It's impossible. I mean, it's not impossible, but it may as well be. It's as close to impossible as it can be, and you still get it done.
0: Right, but I love it because what ended up happening was, because you dealt with it intelligently, you took a situation that could have been a fucking tragedy on the trail, right? And you turned it into something that maybe it was scary and impacted you, but you really learned an important lesson, and hopefully none of us have to learn that lesson because you learned it and told us. <laughs>
1: right. Yeah, no, definitely. And so that, like that, like I said, that one wasn't traumatic necessarily, but it, it was definitely a matter of just finding that comfort in an uncomfortable situation. Like just being, the fact that I was able to sleep that night right. is, is, I think, pretty telling. Like, of just where my mental state was, where it was just like, all right, I'm just going to set up camp. I'm going to eat this food. I'm going to chill out. I'm gonna get some sleep and we'll we'll figure this out in the morning. And I think staying calm like that and then focusing on a task like trying to get your tent set up in a blizzard or trying to cook your meal in a blizzard, you know, something to take your mind off the fact that like you you just don't know where you are and you are in a potentially dangerous situation, but just finding some level of of focus and comfort in that situation.
0: I think that's a really significant additional lesson though. Like what you did was, I mean, you could have sat down in the snow and cried and panicked and had an anxiety attack, but instead you were like, okay, what's step one? Step one is figure out how to get back to where I am. Okay. I got back to where I am probably staying still is the best way. How do I not freak out in this situation? Okay. First tent, second boil, snow third set up, whatever. I don't know that that's your order, but like you got into the rhythm of what you know, and that potentially saved you from more turmoil. Yeah, definitely. And I
1: kind of fell back on just sort of the backcountry basics that I had learned, you know, through years of of uh, backpacking in spring, summer, and fall when it's not the middle of winter, but you know, you 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 do prioritize shelter, water, food. Like those are in that order. Those are the things that you do. And so when I got to a place where I was like relatively comfortable. Like at least I knew there was a, there was a trail marker. So I was close to the trail. Even if I was nowhere near the campground, I was close to the trail. And and then just from that point, I'm just like, okay. So I'm, I'm safe-ish, like safe adjacent here. So here we go. Shelter, water, food. Let's get this done.
0: So it's interesting. Like my story is from a kind of a long time ago uh, when I was backpacking with my family but this trip just went completely to hell, caused an amazing amount of pain and a significant amount of trauma. Um, And I'll tell it in a second here. But like, the interesting thing is that it actually took me a little while to get back to uh, backpacking and doing anything in the backcountry, honestly. And it took me a couple of years. And I think that this singular trip, and I didn't really think about it until you were just telling that story. I think this singular trip is why there's, I mean, that and punk rock and touring and whatever else is why there's like a significant gap in my early 20s where I just straight up didn't do any outdoor activity, right? Like I grew up backpacking, I grew up doing all these things outside and then there's this big gap and then you get to my like early mid 20s and I'm back outside, but there's like a big gap. And like, I was like, why is that? And I've always sort of like wondered, but never really wondered enough to really inquire, I suppose. And then when you were just telling that story, I was like, Ah shit. It was that trip that made me be like, fuck that. Like I'm staying home. It's safer here. It's comfy. It's warm. And there's always food. So we, uh, we were doing an off trail 10 day trip and, um, we, everything was going great. We're a couple days in, um, and we turned we got to this like huge canyon and this canyon was gorgeous we were like okay there's a river at the bottom we're moving towards a river that's got to be our river so we check our map we're like ready to go um i was in my late teens my parents are very experienced everybody felt very comfortable in this so we go down to the to the river and it's not the right river
1: what time of year was this
0: summer yeah definitely Summer. summer okay yeah um So we sit down by the river, we eat some food and we go, now what do we do? And this was like a couple of hours of your toenails are bleeding. It's so steep down this canyon. Like it is not an option to go back up. What is the next option? And uh, we realized that we were lost and we might be pretty lost and nobody really knows how to figure out where we are. So now we're in the backcountry. We're a couple days in. Nobody expects us for a lot of days and we're a little lost. So we keep going. Things are Pretty rough, but we keep going. It's I mean we're fine, right? We've still got food. Everything's great. We're like prepared for the rest of the time, but we're fucking lost. So we're going, and we're above the tree line now. It's been a, it's been a while, and this hailstorm hits, and this hailstorm hits with hail so big that it's like bordering on lethal, right? Um, so one par- part of us runs to some trees. They were the smart ones. I wasn't in that group. Um, The (laughs) other part (laughs) is my mom and I, and we run to this rock that we thought was overhanging, but it turned out was not actually really overhanging. So uh, shout out to my old as hell Kelty out... um, external frame pack because that's what we held over us. And my mom got hit in the hands, her hands, both of her hands got broken on top from the hail. We're holding this backpack above us. And, um, they ended up making this little caterpillar of backpacks where everybody came over and kind of got us and got us back. And in hindsight, I'm like, we could have just caterpillared ourselves over there, but I guess it was like, (laughs) let's go get the women. Um, and I'm grateful for it either way, sexism aside. Uh, so they came and got us, we got to the trees. Um, we're pretty beat up at this point and it was a lot of ice on the ground and it had gone from a comfy seventies to a very, very, very cold, um, I don't know, I'm guessing something like forties. Um, and we're wet. I don't have shoes on because my blisters were so bad. I was wearing flip-flops. Awesome. Uh, and (laughs) now we've got ice water on a trail and we're lost and my mom's hands are broken. And, uh, long story short, we were two or three days. I can't exactly remember late getting in. Um, and we also got our food stolen by a large <laughs> fluffy animal called a bear uh, on that trip after <laughs> that happened.
1: <laughs> this, this needs to be a, a movie.
0: I know, right? Uh, so we ended up walking around, walking across an entire map. We got back to the car. In the end, we were all fine. But... There was a lot of swearing. There was a lot of crying. There was a lot of not eating food or drinking water because we didn't have it. Um, And just keep on going. There was one point where we were walking up this hill that in my mind was fucking Whitney. Um, We're walking up and you just keep walking up and it's in the sun. We don't have food. We haven't eaten all day. Um, We had our backup food was uh, two packets of French onion soup and a small bag of cheese tortellinis. I, I I didn't pack the food and that's not what I would have chosen, but I guess it's pretty good. It doesn't weigh much and it gets beat up. Um, but we all ate like two or three tortellinis and a quarter of a pack of soup and that was our food for the day. Um, hey. So walking up this hill, um, I'm super sick. My mom's at the top of the hill and she keeps yelling, I'm at the top and then keeps walking and she's never at the top. So we have this like constant joke now that if I'm like upset about something, my mom will be like, don't worry, I'm at the top. I'm at the top. Um, and it just happened to be the only backpacking trip I took my high school boyfriend on too. And it's like, I swear to God, it's not always like this. I swear. Um, but there was like this, uh, this gap after that trip where I like, just never wanted to go backpacking. I refused to go on family trips after that. Um, I got into punk rock. I got, went on tour. I forgot all about the woods and everything that I had learned as a kid. And in hindsight, it's funny. Cause like, it took me a little while of like slowly kind of like easing myself into it. And I still get mild amounts of anxiety when I'm above the tree line and hail f- still totally freaks me out. But in general, I actually have turned that now in my 30s into this story of like, not I'm invincible because that's stupid, but like, goddamn, I'm tough. Like, I have gotten through some shit that was really, really, really hard. And I I got out of it and I, I learned a reasonable amount. I learned that I can survive that. And I learned that I can get myself out of something. And I learned that I can work in a team, even if I swear more than I normally do. <laughs>
1: wow um how how long was the gap like between between that hailstorm trip and and like what like what was your next backpacking trip after that
0: I think I was 22 so I think on that trip I was 16 and so that's yeah so that's like what nine years gosh can I do math
1: that's a pretty significant gap like I mean, you were like early, early teens.
0: Right, right, right. And I was like, no, I'm done with that. I'm staying in the city. And now it's super funny when I look back on it, like my reaction to it from being from a small town also was like, I'm getting out of all this. Uh, And now I'm like, can I get back in all that? Like, can we just?
1: (laughs) (laughs) So now you you mentioned that you, you kind of eased your way back into it. What did what does that process look like for you?
0: So, I mean, I have this really amazing family that kept doing what they do. I just wasn't there. Um, we still have these funny things where my mom will be like, "Remember when we went up to Lion's Lake?" and I'm like, "No, I was not there." Um, and uh but like I started going I just started going backpacking with my family again. Um I didn't start uh I didn't start going on significant trips into any wilderness until the Olympic Peninsula when I was 24. So that was the first time that I went on like, I think I went on like a 15 mile hike, which just destroyed me, by the way, I was like, not into fitness yet. And I was like, not a badass. And it was like, there was some snow on the ground. and I slipped a bunch. It was a disaster of a trip. It took all day. Um, But I went with this, um, this person that I was dating from Canada. So he was like, you can't handle this snow. You can't handle this cold. So I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to make it. You don't even know. Um, and it wasn't even an overnight, right? It was just a really, really long hike. Um, and that's how I started getting into it as a, as an adult. But as you know, because we've talked about this, I'm still not particularly comfortable with being alone in the backcountry overnight.
1: Right. Yeah. We have, I think that's come up on the show a couple of times too. Um, now did you, maybe not on that, that first trip, but just, in kind of broader, more general terms, do you ever have, like, I don't for lack of a better term, do you ever have, like, flashbacks to that trip? Like, are you, have you ever had a situation where you were out on an overnight trip and and had some anxiety, like, remembering the hailstorm?
0: You know, it's funny that you say that uh, or ask that. I do. Um I did this trip up to Lassen that was supposed to be like a three and a half mile little hike to um, Bumpass Pass. And instead it was shut down miles and miles down the road. And for some reason, Brian and I were like, it doesn't matter that it's actively snowing and not weather that either of us are heavily prepared for. I'm gonna take my one layer North Face rain cover And my sweatshirt and walk on up this hill and uh, it started hailing and it didn't hail in any kind of like horrifically dangerous way. But I just like completely lost it in a way that like I wish I had a video of because it's probably hilariously embarrassingly um, silly because it started hailing and then I just panicked and I like ran to one side. We're on a fucking road. It's not like the wilderness. We just walked up the road. Um, But I like ran to one side of the road and I was like, oh, God, where are the trees? Is there a significant enough tree for me to get under? And Brian was like. I don't think they're going to hurt you through your jacket. Like, I think you're okay. And I was like, yeah, but there's ice from the sky. (laughs) So I do kind of get triggered sometimes still, but I've, uh, I've never had anything close to that happen since. So it's also a combo of the getting lost and the bear. steal is stealing all of our shit.
1: Yeah. That sounds like a terrible trip. Like that is. (laughs) (sighs) It's (laughs) one of the record books. It sounds really harrowing. Like I, 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 I have had trips where like like one little thing goes wrong and then it just like snowballs. Um, but not I mean nothing on that level. That's but I, I understand that feeling where it's just like, you know, you get to a point where you're just like, Yeah, you know what? Fuck, of course the bear took my food. Why not? Fuck everything.
0: You know <laughs> <laughs> Totally, totally, totally. Um so so yeah, that's that's my first story. My next one's gonna be a lot wetter, but um, but you have, you have a fairly significant trauma that took you some time to get over. Do you want to talk about that?
1: Yeah. Um, and I've talked about this a few times. so I, I think I'm going to kind of cliff notes this one because a lot of people know this story. Um, so my buddy Brian and I, very early in our hiking together, decided that we were going to summit Tower Peak. And Tower Peak is this wildly remote uh, 11,000 plus summit on the border of Yosemite. And hardly anybody goes out there. It's a pain in the ass to get to. The the hike in is wildly difficult. Like, like all trails doesn't have a rating high enough for how hard this hike is. Um, and so, of course, two idiots who've been backpacking for like a year and a half together, we're, we're going to do this thing. Um, so the first time was a total wash. We get out there i've never been more tired in my entire life like we got nowhere near summiting and we were (laughs) wrecked like brian (laughs) brian literally fell asleep while making his dinner at camp that's how tired we were um so we trained we we both started doing crossfit we're like yeah we're gonna conquer this fucking mountain Fuck that mountain we're we're doing this we're gonna we're gonna be one of like the 10 people that year that that summits this thing Um, And that's, that's actually no exaggeration, like, like somewhere between like single digits and less than 20 people summit this thing every year. We get out to the second time and we get to the chute, like where you actually start the climb, like we're, we're 500 linear feet from the summit at this point. And the wind was blowing so hard that it took my 230 pound ass and moved it to the other side. Of this, of this shoot.
0: Holy fucking trip.
1: Yeah, like I climbed into the shoot on the hard right and involuntarily ended up on the left. So we called it and we we're like, nope, not doing that. I don't want to be at 11,000 feet in this kind of wind. So no we, we, yeah, so we we worked our way back down to camp and we were super defeated. We're like, you know what? We're doing it again. This, this is not going to win. This mountain is not going to beat us. So we go back the third time. And it had been a pretty significant snow year. And we were there in July. It was July 4th weekend. And there were still some pretty significant patches of snow that we had to contend with. We had crampons and ice axes and and all of this super heavy gear. And it's like, it's July. Like, it's like, we're hiking up. Um, The first part of the trail is pretty popular and pretty populated, um, you, you run into a lot of people who are camping at some of the lower lakes and stuff like that. So it's like July 4th weekend, it's in the upper eighties and we're tromping through there with crampons and ice axes. And people are looking at us <laughs> like we're batshit crazy. Amazing. We're like, you know, it's July, right? And I mean, yeah, we're, we're going, uh, never, we're not doing what you're doing. We're, we're, you know, um, so we get up in there, we, we cross a couple of pretty gnarly snow fields and we're feeling pretty good. We get up to the lake, Tower Lake, which is like the last major, not not necessarily an obstacle, but it's 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 the last like big landmark before you actually summit. And the whole lake is still completely socked in with snow. Part of the lake is still frozen. Like July 4th weekend, and part of the lake is still frozen. Um right. and the main chute that you use to get up to the saddle where you get up to the next chute to where you actually start to summit has this massive cornice hanging over the edge of it. That's just no, no no, amount of gear is getting us around this. So we're like, oh man, we're out here for the third time and we're not gonna summit again. This is ridiculous. So we start looking at the map and I realize that there's this uh, head wall that's kind of to the the hard left-hand side of the lake. Wait,
0: wait, wait, wait. wait. Okay. Uh, Cornice, headwall. I know what you're talking about, but I just want to make sure everyone else is with us.
1: So a cornice is basically just a big pile of snow that's undercut. So it's hanging out um, above whatever the thing, you know, whether it's... It's like a big snow
0: wave. It's like, yeah,
1: yeah, but it's like, but it's, they're pretty precarious and they hang out pretty far over like either a chute or, or a you know, like a hillside or something like that. And they're very dangerous. They can definitely fall. You can definitely trigger avalanches. Uh, and a head wall is just a big natural obstacle. It's just, it's literally just a natural wall. Um, so we're looking at this head wall and we realize that we can scramble up it. And it should, it looked like a fairly, easy scramble like we wouldn't need ropes or anything like that we could just we could work our way up this little this little wall and it would put us on the ridge that takes us to the final shoot and the final shoot takes you to the summit so we do all that we summit it's incredible we're super pumped heading back out we find that same little ridge and then we ended up walking further than we had planned on so we passed the head wall that would have taken us back down to the lake. And then so we crossed this huge snowfield. It took us probably, I don't know, 35, 40 minutes to cross this snowfield that we definitely did not cross on the way up. Like it, it was completely fresh. There was no footprints in it. We were we were the first people to walk on this thing. Um but we got we made it and it was cool. And so we're feeling, you know, we just summited. it. Now we've just crossed this massive snow obstacle. Like we're crushing it. Um we pop around this corner. Heading back towards the lake, and there's another big snowfield, and this one is significantly steeper. Like there's, I don't remember the exact number. I think it's like thirty-five degrees or forty-five degrees, but there's a certain uh, degree of steepness that should be a cutoff. Like if you walk up to a snowfield and it's more than than this thirty-five degrees or whatever, don't just don't just find another way. Um, We did not do that. We decided to cross it. So the top of it was considerably less steep and then there's like a significant drop off. So the original plan was to stay high on the ridge on the part that was less steep and just kind of inch our way across. And then we were gonna scramble over these boulders and drop back down into the lake. And at some point we decided to cut in a switchback. so I kicked this really nice, deep sturdy step into the snow I turned around, was facing the way I wanted to go, and then you always kind of want your ice axe in your uphill hand and your trekking pole in your downhill hand. So I was switching my equipment from hand to hand, and I lost my footing and I started to fall. Um, so I did what's called a self belay, and that if you picture an ice axe as kind of a T, you grab the top of the T and you ram the long part of the T down into the snow. And it gives you like a handle, like a, a a point to secure yourself, to stop yourself from sliding. Um, and it worked. So I cool. I have just I had worst case scenario. I fell on snow that was steeper than I should be on. And and my emergency preparedness worked. I, I self belayed. Everything's cool. And then the ice broke like completely broke out from underneath me. And so now me and like this chunk of ice that's probably about the size of a basketball are sliding down this uh, glacial face at this point. At this point, it ceased being snow and it was just like a glacier. Yeah. So I rolled over and I tried to do what's called a self-arrest. So with a self-arrest, picture the T again. You take the long part of it across the bulk of your body diagonally. And you take the sharp end of the ice axe and you shove it into the snow and you push with all your weight and you push the axe down into the snow and it's supposed to act like a break.
0: That's brilliant.
1: Yeah, it's and it 99% of the time it works. Like I've I've practiced this move. Brian and I go up on the back of Mount Rose and there's a there's a section on the back of Mount Rose that has this really nice runoff. So even if whatever move you're practicing doesn't work, you just sort of slide down into this bowl and you're not going to get hurt. So, we go up there and like purposefully throw ourselves down the hill and practice these moves. Like um, you should.
0: Yeah. So, like that you should. have this skill in the moments when you're fucking sliding down a glacial face.
1: Right. Um, so, the second my ice axe hit the face of the glacier, it ripped out of my hand. Oh, God. Yeah. And so now I'm just sliding down the hill with nothing. Uh, so, I rolled over onto my back. And I threw my arms out like as wide as I could. And I tucked my core in and pushed my ass into the snow as hard as I could. Just trying to create friction. Just just trying to find some way to slow myself down. And uh, none of it worked. And I remember vividly, I remember thinking to myself, oh, Brian, Brian has to watch me die.
0: God, that's a fucked up thought.
1: Yeah, because I was headed for a cornice. And it was like a 200 foot drop down into tower canyon um and i remember really clearly going oh okay so brian brian has to watch me die um and then somehow with the the friction i was trying to create with my arms outstretched and my butt pushed into the snow turned me slightly and it turned me away from the cornice and instead of pitching 200 feet down into the canyon uh I smashed into a bunch of boulders and basically I went from terminal velocity, you know, whatever, however fast it is the human body can slide on snow to zero in just like a snap. Um, so I ended up with a broken heel. I ended up with some pretty significant, uh, deep tissue damage up and down the backs of my thighs up into my lower back. And I ended up with some pretty gnarly like internal injuries, the doctors compared them to like a, like a car crash, you know, the same kind of trauma that, that happens to your body. When you go from 35 to nothing in a car, I did that just minus the car.
0: Fuck. Okay.
1: We didn't have any kind of satellite communicators or walkie talkies or anything, which was really dumb on our part. Like that's something we definitely should have had with us and there's no cell signal out there. So we're on our own. We have to find a way to get me out. Um, so we, we kind of muscled our way down to the lake and I remember Brian asking, like, if I wanted to look at my injuries, I was like, no, man, I don't, mm, ignorance is bliss at this point. Let's just get to camp.
0: So you are walking on a broken heel, fucked up legs and whatever internal injuries you have.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I had, I, I found out later, you know, after the fact I found out, you know, I had some internal bleeding and it was serious. It was very serious. Um. So we got back to camp and I broke out our uh, first aid kits, cleaned myself up the best I could. I had to butterfly stitch closed a couple of gashes on the back of one of my thighs. um, And I just went to sleep.
0: Jesus. Okay. All right.
1: I was just done. I was, I didn't want to do anything anymore. Right. Um, So I slept, I don't know, a couple of good hours and woke up and ate and we decided we needed to move. Um, there's a cabin down in the meadow and there's supposed to be rangers in the cabin starting July 1st. I fell on July 3rd, I think, maybe the 4th. Um, so we decided to work our way down to this cabin and find the rangers. And then the rangers would do what rangers do and get me out of there. So it's, it's six miles and it's six hard miles. Like, like this is not an easy trail. This is not a casual hiking trail. This is hard when you're in perfect health.
0: And And, are you still carrying your pack or has Brian absorbed your pack?
1: So he, he took some of my gear, but you know, his pack can only carry so much. So I, I still had a significant amount of my stuff. And just, just to add insult to injury, just just the icing on the shit cake, it had been a record snow year. And one of the effects of record snow years is the summer becomes a record mosquito year. Right. So we're like very slowly inching our way down this hill and just getting eaten alive by mosquitoes. It just like, you, you couldn't, I mean, it was... You could not avoid them. They were just clouds of these blood-sucking little assholes. So I'm (laughs) I'm just in total pain. i like, everything hurts. My insides hurt. My legs hurt. My ankle hurts. My heel hurts really bad. And I'm irritated because I'm just getting eaten alive by mosquitoes. Um, We get down to the cabin and there's no rangers. And it wasn't like they were just like out... For the day like they had not been there yet the cabin was still all boarded up like no one had been there so we crossed uh the walker river which is a pretty significant it's like a waist deep river crossing it's not you know it's not there's no bridge there's no you're not hopping rocks or anything like we were forging a river and and we found this little campsite and i'm like let's just sleep here tonight and maybe the rangers will be here in the morning Uh, Long story short, no rangers ever came. So plan B was we were going to hike out until we saw a person. And then we would either make that person go back to the trailhead and find us a ranger or make that person stay with me and Brian would go find the ranger. There were no people. July 4th weekend. And we saw literally no one.
0: Do you want to talk about why you need somebody to stay with you when you're injured?
1: Um, so I was fairly concerned and it was something we didn't really talk about and maybe we should have. It was something Brian and I didn't really discuss, but I I knew even without having been to a doctor and, and having, you know, the MRIs and, and all that good stuff, I knew my insides were fucked up. Like I knew it. I could feel it. I was fucking broken. Um, and I was really concerned with, you know, what if I pass out,
0: Right.
1: you know, and, and, and I knew, like, I knew that the external injuries were fairly serious, but there wasn't like gushing blood or anything like that. But I was really concerned with internal bleeding because you can lose blood and not have it leave your body. You just, you know, it just your body just can't use it anymore because it's occupying spaces that it's useless. And I was really concerned about that. I was really concerned about losing consciousness. And so that's why I really wanted someone to stay with me. Um, But long story short, I ended up walking the full 20 miles out. That sounds fun. It was terrible. It was so (laughs) bad. (laughs) Um, So in the wake of that accident, you know, after recovering and, uh, being really gung-ho to get back into backpacking. Like I wasn't going to let this accident uh, beat me. You know, that summer, the following summer, um, actually, this is ridiculous. So I feel, like I said, I fell in July, late August, Brian and I summited Mount Whitney. Amazing. That same, Yeah. And I was still hurt. Like my heel was still broken and uh, but we summited Whitney with with kind of these lingering injuries because I wasn't going to let it take me down.
0: So how did you get in the headspace for that?
1: I didn't need to at the point at that point like like summer hiking was fine, right? I was totally totally cool. I was just like, all right, let's just go. Um, it was the first winter trip where I realized how badly it affected me mentally. We went out and I think it was just a day hike. We just went out snowshoeing just for an afternoon. We weren't even spending the night. And I had just a full blown panic attack. Like I couldn't, I couldn't make myself walk on snow and I was just like, okay, this, this sucks. And that lasted God, I, maybe two years, like two winters worth of hiking where I would have these little mini, I remember one time we were trying to summit to lack. And the bottom part of the trail was pretty clear. I mean, it was still cold. It was winter, but it was a pretty mild winter. And so we were walking just in dirt most of the day. And then we got up to this big bowl. The bowl leads to a saddle. The saddle leads to the summit. And the whole time in the bowl, I was like borderline anxiety attack. And it it was the weirdest feeling like, the only way I can ever describe it is like imagine you get stung by a bee, and the the initial pain of the sting, not not the after effects, not not the swelling or anything, but the actual point of contact between your your body and the stinger lasts forever.
0: I mean that's what um, sorry if i'm if I'm if I'm tangenting here, but PTSD literally rewires your brain. And I think that people don't think about mental and emotional responses to trauma as a physical thing. And I think that it helps if you think about it like a physical thing. It literally is you still having a part, not all, but a part of that bee sting.
1: Right. And so I always, I always liken it to that because what I, what I actually felt was I felt the moment that the ice axe slipped out of my hand. But but instead of it just being that snap of Oop, I lost my axe, it was that exact feeling the entire time my feet were touching snow. So draw out that that very, you know, that m- millisecond of time and draw that out for 15 or 20 minutes. And that, that's always why I try to liken it to the bee sting, because it's just like, you know, when you get stung by a bee, it's like, OK, that was a bee sting. And then there's lingering effects. But just imagine if the actual sting was just forever.
0: I also should admit I've never been stung by a bee. <laughs> okay, but now you walk in uh, snow. So how'd you get here from there? Took you two years. What happened in that two years?
1: Uh, therapy. I, I went to a therapist and she gave me uh, a mantra. They, or didn't give me a mantra. She
0: helped establish
1: yeah she assigned me to establish a mantra and so what i did when i got out onto the snow was i would be like you're not falling you're not falling you can do this you're not falling you can do this um, but i would have to constantly have this inner dialogue with myself or like look man you're not nope nothing bad's happening you're good you've got this nothing bad's happening you're doing it you're doing it um and then eventually you know that the, the the feelings of anxiety and stuff subside. Um, I still get them, even now, I mean, I still get them a little bit if we're on, like, a particularly sketchy section of snow. But overall, like, I'm good. Like...
0: I'm really excited that you just talked about your inner dialogue being the thing that pulled you out of it. Because... I just came back a couple days ago from a trip that was absolutely absurdly epic, life-changing fucking trip. And it was also every single day I did something that made me so scared that I was like literally physically nauseous. Um and nothing bad happened. I mean, bad things happened. Um but like I didn't get like severely hurt or anything like that. It wasn't all perfect. Um but like I this was the first trip that I faced down so many fears so rapidly and such huge fears that I um started to realize that I had mantras and that I have things that I say to myself that get me through these really, really scary events, whether it's a triggering thing or just literally something really scary, like getting into the open ocean with a very, very large, um, marine mammal, which is what I did. And many large marine mammals, which is what I did. Um, and sharks, uh, and open ocean. Did I mention the open ocean because like really open ocean, um, (laughs)
1: Um, I feel I'm starting to feel like there might be a hang up with you and open
0: ocean. <laughs> I mean, it's fucking scary, right? Like most people are afraid of the deep, dark, unknown open ocean. That's why we have Jaws. That's why we have all these things, right? And um, I, I actually didn't realize it from necessarily myself, but actually from GoProing things. So I have this totally amazing GoPro where I'm videoing this whale who's coming towards us fairly rapidly. And I'm like, okay, okay, okay. This is why we did this. This is what we trained for. I know how to do this. This is going to be okay. Okay. And apparently I learned that I say okay in a really calming way repeatedly to myself when I need to get through scary situations. And I've realized that I've been doing this for a really long time. And that when I feel those panicky feelings, when I feel like, oh God, oh God, oh God, the first thing I do, and I think this is really important because we started this podcast to talk to people about how to get into things. And so I'm going to assume that you haven't done this before, but the first thing is to make sure that you actually do have the skill set, and that you actually are okay. Don't just say okay to yourself and not be okay and not check in, check in first. Um, but when I know I'm in a situation where I'm okay, but it's fear, um, I I can talk to myself and tell myself that, that I can do this and that I have the skills and that I did train for it. And I think that that internal dialogue is so incredibly crucial. And it's so funny that I didn't realize that because a huge part of my job is teaching people how to tell themselves they can do things that, they didn't previously know that they could do. I have to convince people that this big heavy weight on a barbell on their back is going to come back up when they go down, right? They're going to squat it. It's going to be okay. And if they don't, they're going to be okay, no matter what. And that internal dialogue literally makes you stronger. It's something that is literally part of coaching because you have to teach somebody how to tell themselves they can do something they couldn't previously do. And I know that what I'm referring to is fear that's like going forward, doing a new thing, but it also is absolutely the way that I deal with fear looking backwards when I go, oh God, this reminds me of that thing that hurt me or scared me or had a really traumatic event. And okay, okay. I can do this. I trained for this. I have the skills, and and that happens to be my internal dialogue. And for you, you had a very specific trauma. I've never actually established a mantra for a specific trauma. I just deal with the same one blanket over everything. Um, But like, I love that what you did was you fucking had your own back, right? Like you went up there and your own brain had your own brain's back, and you dug yourself out of that PTSD that way. And I just I think that's really cool.
1: Yeah, and it it definitely wasn't something that I did alone. I mean, I can't recommend therapy enough. Like if, if, if you are struggling with something like that, or, or you have these big mental barriers where you're having anxiety attacks and, and you're like crippled by fear, which is basically what I was like, I I really remember, especially on that to trip. I remember like, I've hiked to Lack, I don't know, in the double digits. I've, I've been on that trail in the snow, not on the snow. Like I've done that hike. It's it's one of my favorite hikes. And I remember being like literally crippled with fear. And it was such a weird experience to be in such a familiar place and in, in such a place that I had succeeded so many times before and had been like, no, man, I can't fucking do this like what am i doing this is crazy why am i doing and it's not crazy like i've done it uh, like multiple times and so without having gone to therapy i don't think i'd be where i am today so i just i can't sing the praises of therapy enough like i know there's a big stigma about it especially for men um shut all that shit out and get therapy if you need it
0: oh yeah oh um Let me just rewind really quick, uh, because now I'm realizing that I made that seem like a spontaneous invention that I just came up with because I'm fucking brilliant and emotionally intelligent. It's not that. It's 100% therapy. My therapist is amazing and has helped me build the tools to deal with all those things because full disclosure, I actually do have really gnarly panic attacks, and I do have really bad anxiety, and dealing with that is a significant part of being able to live the life that I live. Okay. Come on. That's the cutest thing ever. Um, yep,
1: my dog, my dog is coming to visit us on the podcast.
0: She's not that big, right? She did just climb into your lap a little bit. No,
1: she's pretty big. She's like 74. Did she pounds. just
0: walk over to you? That's how head- big her head is? How high her head is?
1: No, I mean, she, she stood up on the chair, but, um, but she is a big dog.
0: Yeah. Amazing. I love her. Um, I'm currently looking at puppies. So I'm like very excited by dogs right now. Um, But yeah, anyway, I'm really, really glad that you talked about therapy because like there is a stigma about it and building those tools means that you can do more. And I think that that's fucking important. Um, Do you want to make this a two-parter? Because I feel like we can definitely talk more on this subject, but we're starting to get a little long. I
1: think we could find a way to wrap it up. Earlier, you and I had talked about doing an episode about imposter syndrome. And I think this episode kind of ties directly into that because- At least for me, like, so circling back to something you said earlier, you, you kind of jokingly called me badass or whatever. Um, I don't see myself in that light. Like I, I see myself as a rank amateur in, in everything. And it's, it's funny to think like, I tell that story about Tower Peak and I tell that story about walking 20 miles out injured and everybody's reaction is just like, dude, you're badass. And I'm like, no. I'm just. I just. That was it. I was. Uh, what else do you do? You you either lay down and die or you get yourself out. Like it wasn't. There's no. There's nothing badass about it. It was just that's the thing you have to do. And so I am consistently like downplaying the shit that I've done, and I tell these stories to people, and their reactions every time, their reaction is just like whoa, and for me, it's just like, eh. and um. So I don't know, maybe maybe part two of this could be the imposter syndrome episode and we can we can uh, circle back to some of these things that we've discussed. Okay,
0: I really fucking like that. But uh, two things. One, I said you're a badass because you were like, it's just snowing on me and I'm lost. It's all good. I'm good. Uh, and that's still badass. Um, and two, that's everyone's reaction to me and I feel exactly the same way. Like yeah, people are like, what like uh what was um we had a new athlete in class yesterday and their response to uh brian talking about talking about one of the things that we did on this trip uh was so y'all are crazy people huh <laughs> and i was like oh shit okay are we at that level like i don't think about myself at that level i think about myself as like i'm just over here um just doing some stuff. So like, you just don't need to pay attention. It's okay. I'll take some pretty pictures of not me doing some stuff. Like, it's cool.
1: Yeah. And I'm exactly that. Like that, that rings so true to me where it's just like, you know, I'll tell somebody, Oh yeah, I went on a 77 mile hike in three days. And they're just like, Whoa, what? That's crazy. Like you walked like 20 miles a day. And I'm like, I walk 20 miles a day all the time. (laughs) It's not that big of a deal. Like, I don't... Lots of people walked one. It's, like, literally not... Like, people do this all... Like, this is a normal thing that normal people do, and it's not. It's not. And, like, I'm slowly... Like, I'm slowly starting to realize that maybe some of the stuff I've done is kind of badass.
0: Okay. I love that you're realizing that. Maybe I can jump on that bandwagon sometime soon. Um. All right. Do you want to talk uh, about what one of your trips is? Yeah.
1: So, our, our three things for this episode is going to be the three things we carry consistently whether it's a day hike a backpacking trip a free diving trip a mountain biking trip anytime we're out adventuring what are the three things we carry to keep ourselves safe um so my number one and it's a new item that i've just started carrying after the tower peak trip is uh a satellite communicator with an sos button which
0: is fucking brilliant
1: yeah it's just it's uh the spot is the one that i carry uh there's five or six different ones on the market that i can think of off the top of my head i went with the spot go with whichever one you think is gonna suit your needs the best but it it gives my wife a lot of peace of mind because she can just look online And it'll give her like GPS coordinates every 10 minutes. So she can actually track like, oh, okay, he's moving along. Everything's cool. And then if something happens, I can hit the SOS button and theoretically someone will come save me.
0: Which I love. And I do the um, cheaper version of that, which is turn the location on and share it with my sister-in-law on my cell phone. And this is what I was doing when I was diving um, and what I do when I dive. Uh, But it hasn't been something that I've consistently done. It's something that I just actually just started doing because my parents did this epic Yellowstone trip and they fucking disappeared for five days. And we were less than an hour from having multiple helicopters launch from multiple states to go search for them. We had many rangers out. We had all these people out. And it turns out they just found a really great campsite. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> and they just didn't want to leave and they're they didn't have anywhere to be so like why not stay at this gorgeous place that they're absolutely loving um and after that my family generally uh started getting a little bit more serious about knowing where all of us are um and i i guess i'll report back even though probably people are better with technology and already know this um if uh you're your iPhone still will transmit Transmit if you are way, way out of service. So if not, then I'll probably get a spot. What's your next one?
1: Uh, so my next one is just a little first aid kit. And it it's nothing super fancy. I've got, you know, ibuprofen, band-aids. I carry some like butterfly closures in case I get a more serious laceration. Some kind of antibacterial something or other to clean a potential wound with. Um, So it's a pretty simple little first aid kit, but it's got all of the essentials. If if something happens out in the backcountry and I carry that every trip, even even just on day hikes, I have that with me,
0: which is smart because day hikes uh, can turn pretty sketchy sometimes in ways that you don't expect. I think it's important to remember that, like, especially the further you get out into backcountry and wilderness, you don't know what's going to happen. So it's a good idea to be just a little prepared for some stuff.
1: Yeah, I actually read an article. I forget which magazine it was in now. It's about two years ago. Um, The majority of backcountry accidents happen on day trips.
0: That doesn't surprise me. You also get more uh, inexperienced people on day trips.
1: That was the conclusion the article came to as well, is that it's, it's a combination of experienced people overvaluing their own experience and then just inexperienced people not knowing what they're doing. But typically you'll have the majority of your injuries and the majority of like your rescues are people who were not planning on being out overnight.
0: Yeah. And I am, I am often guilty of this kind of ego trip and starting to curb my, um, I am invincible. All I need is a half a builder bar and an apple. (laughs) (laughs) um my second one is a first aid kit i also carry um uh a whole a full bottle of visine um or clear eyes or i don't i think i just have like some kind of regular water solution right now but um i've multiple times gotten things in my eyes that i couldn't get out um and uh So i carry that as well i carry that anti-itch cream and then i also carry this spray that's like antibacterial and anti-pain um that's uh that's made me feel significantly better in some situations that i've gotten myself into because i'm really good at hurting myself um so first aid kit uh and and some little extras in there too
1: so my third one is i always carry one of those little mylar emergency shelters and the one i have is it's big enough for two people and you can kind of set it up like a little makeshift pup tent you just use um, little pieces of like paracord and you can tie it tie the ridge line to trees and then you put rocks in the corner and so you can actually make like a little mini tent out of it and uh, thankfully i have not had to use that but a good buddy of mine hiking here locally, just on a day hike, got caught in a blizzard and ended up having to set up a camp on the side of this hill in a blizzard to uh, ride out the night, like an unexpected night in the middle of a snowstorm. And his little Mylar tent saved his life.
0: All right. And my last one is a knife. I carry a significant knife and I... It's hilarious because it is not a really solid awesome backcountry knife it's actually bright gold and has like shiny black attack it's like it's ridiculous um, we call it the John Wick knife uh, but like, <laughs> I'm convinced that if if I need anything in an emergency situation uh, a knife and a lighter will probably help a lot. Um, And so I carry a very large knife. The other reason is because it is so ridiculous that if I had a human danger issue, that it would just be a really unexpected thing that would throw somebody (laughs) off. (laughs) Your dog is being really absurdly amazing right now.
1: She is absolutely ready for me to be done recording this podcast and paying attention to her. She She has reached her limit and is ready for me to be finished.
0: Um, well, then it seems like it's a good time to wrap it up. So
1: uh, so one last thing before we wrap this up. We each talked about our three favorite things because that's how we end every episode As we do three whatevers. Um, there are 10 essentials that you should always carry when you are in the backcountry. And you can Google just the 10 essentials. It's It's a very important list. And I do carry all 10 of them. Every trip is, is this, tr- this episode, we talked about three specific ones, but for new hikers in particular, I think Google just the, the 10 backcountry essentials and get all 10 of those things.
0: And we'll find a good link and throw that in the show notes as well
1: absolutely that's a fantastic idea
0: and the other thing in our show notes is going to be how to find us so find us reach out also we want to hear your stories we'd love to have you on as a guest and we'd love to hear what you want to hear about so hit us up um basically on any of our many ways that you can hit us up and we'd love to hear
1: absolutely and i think with that we will bring episode six to an end thank you so much for listening